I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello everyone and welcome into this week's episode of La Liga Lowdown. It's our match day 11 recap. I'm your host, Hugh McTeer, and we're also rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. Across Spain, it was a weekend of football where Diego Maradona was very present. Before every match, a minute of silence was held in memory of the Argentine legend who passed away on Wednesday at the age of 60. And there were some particularly touching tributes at his former club Sevilla and Barcelona. At Barcelona, Leo Messi paid tribute to Maradona by scoring a brilliant left-footed strike from distance and by taking off his Barcelona shirt to reveal a Newell's Old Boys jersey from when Maradona played at the club. The club Messi grew up supporting, of course. Let's bring in our Barcelona correspondent, Roman de Arquer now, and let's start with the Messi-Maradona tribute. Just how special was that, Roman? It has to be the perfect tribute from Messi to Maradona. I think it couldn't have gone any smoother, you know. Um, first of all, the celebration. I love how Messi waits, takes his time to celebrate with his teammates. And then once that's over, he takes off his jersey and shows that classic shirt Maradona wore at Newell's Old Boys. And also copies a similar gesture to one that Maradona did at the club. So, I mean, that was great. And then it's not just the celebration, but also the goal. Uh, I encourage our listeners to go and check out Maradona's only goal at uh, Newell's Old Boys because it's very similar to the one uh, Messi actually scored against Osasuna. It was in 1993 in his debut in a friendly game for the Argentinian side and Messi was actually there at the stadium. He was just six years old. He saw uh, Maradona score uh, that goal and I don't know if he did this on purpose. He wanted to emulate the same goal or if it was fate but one way or another it ended up being the perfect tribute I think from Messi to Maradona. A really fitting tribute and the whole team looked like they wanted to pay tribute to Maradona. This was one of Barcelona's best performances of the whole season as they won 4-0 against Osasuna. Messi scored that great goal but so too did Griezmann with an absolute whack of a volley and Martin Brathwaite and Philip Coutinho scored too. It could even have been more than four so was this the very best that Barcelona have looked so far under Coleman? 
Of course, after playing such a poor game against Atletico de Madrid and then the next week in La Liga, going back and playing at this rate, it stands out a lot more. So um, uh, it's normal that people say it's one of their better games. I don't know if it's their best, but it's definitely up top around there. Barca had a very good, solid performance. Uh, they were they had the game under control. They did struggle at the back a bit in certain points, but with all the defensive problems we're having in terms of injuries, etc., I can't really blame them for that. So I think uh, overall Barca did a good job. And it's 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 the path to follow, you know. Barca has to play at this level more often. They have to gain confidence and they need to find a rhythm, not just playing good at home and then uh, struggling away against other teams. You know, Barcelona needs to find their form, needs to find stability and to play at this uh, rate constantly. One player who is finding form is Griezmann. He's starting to fit in, it seems. Maybe that interview... He gave to Jorge Valdano last week. Maybe it cleared his head or something. What did you think of all that? The interview had to happen. I think it was important for Griezmann uh, to be able to speak out and unburden himself, you know, explaining uh, his truth because there's been a lot of talk about the relationship with Messi, about his performances, so this step was necessary. Although I think that Griezmann had already started improving slightly before. He was getting more goals, he was being more important in attack, I'd say, uh, generating more. And despite maybe missing clear chances, which would make you think he's, he's out of his mind and he's not being the Griezmann everyone needs him to be he was at least getting there you know and I think this interview helped and we've seen also those two games after against Dinamo and Osasuna where he scored where he's felt important and also he's in his position on the field with a reference in attack in this case Martin Brathwaite uh, Griezmann feels much more comfortable uh, a bit behind you know being able to combine to generate and to finish off chances so I think in that position and under these conditions Griezmann should finally be capable of showing his true self at Barcelona. The one piece of bad news for Barcelona, though, was the injury to Clement Longley with Gerard Piquet, Ronald Araujo and Samuel Umtiti also injured. What are they going to do there at centre-back? I feel like Barca had it coming, you know, it was, it, was, it had to happen because uh, the summer transfer market planning was absolutely shambles. I mean, Barcelona needed a centre-back, they knew it, they tried with Eddie Garcia and he didn't come so it was like they had no plan B or they had no money to go for anyone else and, and thought that, you know, they'd be good enough with what they had but it's not the case and now we're seeing the effects of that. And the slightly good news, I'd say, the relief for Kuman is that Ronald Araujo will be back this week, supposedly. So he should be available for the next game. But the thing is, this time you won't have an experienced centre-back with a less experienced one. Because both Lenglet and uh, Piquet are unavailable. So it'll have to be either two unexperienced guys that, such as Mingueza and Araujo. Or, uh, as Kuman has been doing in some games, play uh, De Jong, who is also quite unexperienced, we could say, in that position, to play with one of the other two. Because I doubt Busquets will be there, and Umtiti looks like he's never going to set foot again on uh, the Camp Nou, or anywhere else for Barcelona. Yeah, Umtiti remains a mystery. Let's talk some more about Oscar Mingueza, the 21-year-old B-team centre-back. How highly rated is he, and how well do you think he's done these past couple games? So far, he's definitely exceeded expectations. I mean, he hasn't played the strongest offensive teams you'll find, but uh, overall, he was very solid, both in the Champions League against Dinamo de Kiev and also in this game against Osasuna. Uh, he looked quite comfortable in that position uh, with Lenglet in both games. And it's true that he did have certain mistakes. You can tell he's still a young player who has a lot to learn from, but 
overall, he, he proved to be mature. He proved to be uh, strong, solid at the back. And it's definitely uh, proof that La Masia, you know, still has very talented players there, which Barca can pick from. And he's probably going to play a lot more seeing all the, all the problems we have at the back. So hopefully he can keep growing, keep improving, keep learning and keep providing for Barcelona. Yeah, 100%. Let's see how he does. Okay, thanks for that, Roman. So a good weekend for Barcelona. Not so much for Real Madrid. They played at home to Alaves, but fell to a 2-1 defeat. Uh, Lucas Perez penalty and a Joss Lou goal after a big mistake from Thibaut Courtois. That was enough for Alaves, even if Casemiro pulled one back too little too late. Let's speak with Real Madrid supporter Hassan Karim now about that game. Hass, I mean... Why is it that Real Madrid can go away to Inter Milan and win, and then they lost at home to Alaves? Is it, is it a motivation thing? It's something we've seen quite a lot through the season so far with Real Madrid. They step it up in big games, i.e. the Clásico where they beat Barcelona 3-1. How was that followed up? 2-2 draw against Munchen Gladbach in a very, very disappointing performance. Then they went and beat Inter Milan 3-2 in the home leg. How did they follow that one up? lose 4-1 to Valencia. So they've done it again here. Impressive performance against Inter Milan again. You know, win 2-0. Look very composed, very sharp. Followed up by an absolutely dismal performance against Alaves. It's like they suffer some sort of hangover and they struggle to pick themselves up again. Where it's like they ride that high so much and they come into that game and it's like they're just exhausted. And I think that is part of the problem. Obviously the schedule is quite hectic. It's very busy and very packed. But it's it's unacceptable that... They are going into games, showing that they can perform, the quality is there for them to perform, and then absolutely bottling it in games where they should be winning. Zidane himself said that this was Real Madrid's worst start to a match of the season. Is that accurate? Yeah, I would absolutely agree. That this is definitely the worst start to a game through the season. Um, you know, and that, that takes some beating given some of the performances we've seen this season. You know, against Cadiz, there was you know, a terrible performance there. Um, against Valencia, it's a pretty terrible start as well. So, yeah, it's 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 a common you know a common theme that they have been cold starters so far through moments of this season. However, this was definitely the worst of the bunch. I mean, that first half entirely was just an absolute mess. Um, I I don't even know quite how to sum it up. It was just a train wreck. Overall, Alaves made life really difficult for Real Madrid. What was it that they did so well? They obviously got the early penalty, which I'm still absolutely perplexed by that decision. I don't quite understand, you know, what Nacho was supposed to do in that scenario. But hey ho, you know, you can't win them all. Um, but you know, the early goal definitely gave Alaves the sort of added incentive to continue to stick to the game plan they probably came in with anyway, which is be compact, well drilled, and fill the flanks because we knew that Real going into this game given who they were playing up front, we're going to definitely you know, look to exploit the wide areas and get the ball into the box. And they did that particularly well down the left-hand side, you know, obviously um, forcing Hazard into you know, sort of tighter spaces and not being able to run into open spaces as much, given that he's the best line-breaker in the team right now, you know, sort of shutting him out was a wise move. Um, and, you know, forcing Real to then, you know, usually just completely well on Lucas Vasquez who did a good job you know getting the ball into the box but by and large you know it was a good performance from them they just made it a very laborious very very sort of tough game and very hard game they made sure the Real knew that they were there at every opportunity they got you mentioned Hazard he's injured again his seventh 
injuries since joining the club. And just overall, there's so many injuries for Real Madrid. Zidane said after the game that he didn't want to make excuses by talking about the injuries, but it's true that they're a problem, right? The injuries are absolutely hurting Real Madrid, like to an absolutely ludicrous degree. Sergio Ramos is absolutely monumental to that team in all facets of the game, not just for his defensive capabilities, but his ability to play out from the back. No other defender in Real's team comes close to him in that aspect. Um, and his leadership as well. You can't you can't match that. No one in that back line comes close to matching his leadership. His influence is literally gargantuan. Um, you know, Eden Hazard also, you know, just just come back in, now picked up a minor injury. Big problem. Karim Benzema often, you know, thrashed and battered for his lack of being in the box, albeit, you know, this is a, such a foolish stick to beat him with. But now he's not there. You see the, the absolute gulf that is left behind when he's not there and how he he literally knits the entire attack together. Abington is like that are really becoming, becoming a problem. Danny Carvajal, you know, put in an absolute fantastic performance against Inter Milan, now injured for the next two weeks. Adrio Zola, I don't know where the situation is with him. Haven't seen him for some time and no one knows quite what the state of play is with him. There's no other right back in the club that fills in for that position. Lucas Vasquez has done an admirable job, you know, admirable job, but it's it's not it's not enough, is it? It's just not enough. Um so yeah, these these injuries are absolutely, you know, definitely really affecting Real because how can you continue to go through a season with, you know, not only some of your starting players injured, but then your backups injured? I mean, okay, Benzema's injured. Jovic is also now out as well. You know, Mariano is not a bad, you know, not a terrible player, but is he good enough to carry the attack? Obviously not. So, again, it's just continued issues like that. And then when other players are failing to step up, like your Marco Asensio's and like your East goes, what do you do? How, how do you combat that? It's impossible. Thanks, Haas, for that. We'll see what happens next time out when they go away to Sevilla on Saturday night. And Real Madrid will meet a Sevilla side in great form for that game. They just ground out a 1-0 win away at Huesca. This time out with some late drama. Some late drama that Matt Clark is going to cover in our Sore Throat Game of the Week segment where we bring you some of the wildest commentary of the weekend. So here's Matt to talk us through this game from Saturday evening. Yusuf N. Nasiri was at it again this weekend. The Moroccans saved Sevilla by being the right man in the right place at the right time, scoring the late winner in their 1-0 victory over Huesca, courtesy of Lucas Ocampos' terrific assist. It sounded like this on Onda Cero. Apareció el Sevilla. Gol de Josef Nesiri en el Alcora. Look, look, look. Goal. Sevilla appears. In fact, Sevilla have scored six of the 12 La Liga goals this season after the 80th minute, demonstrating that their motto, Nunca se rinde, feeds through to the players. They never give up on the result and this is even more of a crucial characteristic to have in this compact but busy season. Another vital win for Lopetegui's men, who have now accumulated five consecutive victories in all competitions. With Chelsea and Real Madrid next up, that is just what the doctor ordered. As for Wesker, they remain the only winless side in La Liga and finished the weekend bottom of the table. It's been a rough run for the newly promoted side, but their performances have been encouraging. There are reasons to expect an upturn in fortunes for Michel and his team. 
Four sides have conceded as many or more goals than Wesker, so they aren't cut adrift or getting hammered every week. They just need that first win to get the confidence flowing, and I'm sure when that does come, they will start to improve in their results too. Thanks for that, Matt. And with that, that brings us to the end of part one of this week's Match Day Recap. We've got lots more coming up in part two, including your regular dose of Paco Pollitt and also Jeremy Behrin on Atletico Madrid's title chances. All of that is on the other side of this short pause. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome back into this episode of La Liga Lowdown. We've heard about the good and bad weekends that Barcelona and Real Madrid had, but now it's time to talk about the true title contenders. It's time to talk about Atletico Madrid. They went away to Valencia this weekend and they earned an absolutely huge victory on the road. It was Tony Lato turning in an own goal for the 1-0 result. That was unfortunate for Valencia, but overall Atleti did deserve this win. And we're going to discuss it now with Jeremy Behrin of the Into the Calderon SB Nation site. A familiar 1-0 scoreline, Jeremy, but this isn't the same old Atleti, is it? This was a different type of 1-0 victory, Ewan. Uh, it contrasts quite a bit with the Uno Serismo that we've come to see slash expect from Atletico, wherein, particularly away from home, the team gets involved in these ugly wars of attrition over the ball where they fail to take any initiative, they don't generate scoring opportunities of any consistent quality, and the games themselves devolve into boring stalemates. That wasn't the case on Saturday at Mestalla, where Atletico won for the first time in four years. Though the scoreline was as slim as you can get it, and though the game was decided by an own goal, 
Atletico deserved to win because they took initiative, they took command, they took control early on and continued to insist until Yannick Carrasco's cross ended up in the net. Atleti rang up 67% possession, had a heavy shots advantage, and with a legitimate finisher on the pitch, this game would have been decided uh, by multiple goals. It would have been a healthier scoreline against a Valencia team that battled but just didn't have really enough to challenge Atletico. We saw Atletico play a back three again with Renan Lodi and Mario Hermoso both playing. They've had a few games now in a row where they've not used the old 4-4-2 that had become almost automatic. So how is this new formation working? This new back three that Simeone has installed this season is probably the most easily identifiable symbol of this direction that Atletico are going, this more progressive, ambitious, adventurous direction in which uh, the team is heading. Simeone did want to try this last year, but just couldn't, frankly, because Mario Hermoso wasn't good enough. But Hermoso's development from year one to year two has been a really overlooked storyline. He's been great so far this season. He has held his own defensively. He is classy and elegant on the ball, and his ability to get into the 11, his ability uh, to get on the pitch means Simeone can field another attacker. Yana Carrasco has played at left wing back uh, against Barcelona and Valencia, and he generated both goals in those games, uh, the winning goals in those games, scoring against Barcelona and delivering the cross for Tony Lotto at, at Valencia. Kieran Trippier is freed uh, from defensive responsibilities because he's got three central defenders behind him and an Oblak. All that's really missing is a finisher because you also have Koke dictating play at a very high level in the center of the park. Once that finisher comes back into the team, i.e. Luis Suarez, then we will see uh, an Atletico that... And we should see, we hope to see an Atletico humming along in this new 3-4-2-1, this 3-4-1-2 formation. You mentioned Luis Suarez there out with COVID right now, of course, but he'll be back soon. And how much better can he make this team? Suarez can make this side even better. This side that has won six straight in La Liga and has by and large looked very good doing it. He's got five goals in six games. Uh, and he... Suarez has been has been an antidote. He really has. He is before uh, before he contracted uh, coronavirus. His partnership with Jao Felix looked like it was taking off, and he is just continues to show that even though he may have lost a step, he is still a lethal goal scorer at 33 years old. Uh, he scored five goals from eight shots this year, from eight shots on target. And when he comes back, Atletico will have that legitimate finisher, that killer at um, at center forward. And that's going to be important because Atletico don't have that right now and may have to dip into the market in January to get another because of Diego Costa's health scare, his deep vein thrombosis that could rule him out long term. Yeah, concerning stuff there with Costa. Let's hope he can recover soon. Now, I know Simeone always wants to go partido a partido, but these past two La Liga victories, they have been huge. So how are you feeling about Aleti's title chances this year? Oh, that's a tough question. 
Yeah, I, I too subscribe to Partido a Partido and try not to think too much past the next week, but this is a big chance for Atletico. This is a, a huge opportunity uh, to mount a serious title challenge with how, uh, considering how Real Madrid and Barcelona's seasons have begun, I do have I do have questions about uh, about Atleti though. I am not convinced that they have enough depth at a couple positions, particularly at right back and at forward. The the schedule, not just for Atletico, but this goes for Real Sociedad and Villarreal as well. How much chaos is the schedule going to inflict on teams as we get into January, February, March, April, as we get toward the business end of the season? How are these teams going to look? I will say Atletico are positioned very well based on their experience, based on their talent, their their headline, frontline talent. But there are, I do have a couple concerns. That said, I'm not going to disabuse anyone from dreaming. I'm not going to stop anyone from dreaming. I'm not going to deny that I have dreamed myself of what Atletico are capable of accomplishing this season. We'll see if they can actually go and do it. I'm feeling as if they can really contend this year. Yeah, absolutely, Jeremy. This is a pretty unique season and a unique opportunity for Atleti. So far, so good, though. They're second in the table right now, but... Remember, they do have two games in hand over Real Sofidad, who are one point ahead. And Real Sofidad's lead is one point because of their 1-1 draw with Villarreal on Sunday night. This was a match between two teams playing good and attractive football, but it was also a match with title race implications because of how high in the table both these teams are. Villarreal, remember, they follow Real Sofidad and Atleti in third place. In this game, both of the goals in the draw came from the penalty spot, both from Spain internationals first. Jared Moreno and then Miguel Oyarzabal. Both of these teams had other chances to win it too, so I guess that tells me that the draw is probably the fair result. Now, this certainly wasn't the only 1-1 draw of the weekend. We had several of them. We also saw Hitafe and Athletic Club draw 1-1. That was the first draw of the season for the team from Bilbao. Until now, they'd been all smiles or all tears, either winning or losing. But they took a point away at Hitafe, a result that makes it five in a row without a win for Hitafe. They haven't won since they beat Barcelona back in the middle of October. There was also a 1-1 draw in the battle of two of the newly promoted sides, Elche and Cadiz. They drew both their matches in the second division 0-0 last season, so at least we got some goals this time around. It's a particularly good result for Elche since they played the entire second half with 10 men. Their goal scorer, Lucas Boye, got himself sent off, but the spoils were shared when all was said and done. And then, the other of the many 1-1 draws of the weekend came on Friday night as Levante went away to Real Valladolid. And this was Levante's fifth 1-1 draw in a row. So, let's bring in Paco Pollock now to discuss the team from the Valencian community. Paco, will every Levante game between now and the end of time finish 1-1? Hopefully not, as drawing every single game till the end of the season would surely mean relegation for Levante. But it's true that after five consecutive draws with the same score, Levante fans are beginning to worry quite a lot about the future of the team. Again, Levante were playing against a straight-up contender for survival and they fell short of the minimum required to win the game. The first half was pretty awful, the second half followed suit and only Danny Gomez entering the game allowed the team to have 
more chances of leveling. He was brought down inside the box, Campagna scored and managed to save a point. Not enough, all in all. Yeah, the draws just aren't enough for Levante right now. They haven't won since match day three. So tell us, how concerned exactly are you about their chances of survival? Very, very concerned. It seems they're unable to master two basic abilities if any team wants to remain in La Liga. Either manage to keep a clean sheet here and there, or manage to score at least twice in a single game. Levante failed to do that every single match they play. Their games are as entertaining to watch as last season, because they are very open, very quickly paced. But I guess Borja Mayoral leaving for Serie A and Roger Marti being absent for a few games for COVID-19 reasons have damaged Levante's scoring performance incredibly. So right now, I see Levante suffering a lot if they unable to turn it around before Christmas comes around. The thing is about Levante is they have many talented players. I mean, I really like this squad, but these players aren't performing to their usual level. Can you find any explanation for that? I can't, actually. I can't. For example, Morales, he had his chance to shine in the opening game against Valencia, but he hasn't excelled in the same way since. Campagna, even though he scored from a penalty spot against Valladolid, isn't the same player he was last season. And I believe his frustrated transfer this summer to a bigger team may have something to do with that. Roger Martí has scored only twice this season to date, and the new additions like Jorge de Frutos or Dani Gómez haven't had a significant impact yet. Again, not really sure of why they are underperforming, but I believe the negative dynamic of the whole team is also dragging down the talent within. And what about coach Paco Lopez's job security? Is he safe for now? See, si, Paco Lopez is one of Levante's president Kiko Catalan's favorite people on the earth. Okay, he was his personal bet, the gamble he took back in 2018 when he picked the B team manager to replace Muñiz as Levante's coach. And remember, out of the last 11 games, Levante were able to win 8 and even trumped Valverde's Barça at home in that legendary win with a 5-4 score. His first full season was again quite successful and was able to save Levante from relegation. And last year, the team finished in the 12th place with plenty of good things to say about them. But football relies heavily on what happens here and now. And Levante have been unable to win in the last 8 games. Catalan faith in Paco Lopez has been unlimited to date, but if the squad is unable to win the next few games, his job will be undoubtedly at risk. Thank you, Paco, for the lowdown there on Levante and their worrying situation. I really like Paco Lopez, so let's hope he can turn things around. We've only had one coach being fired so far this season, and that was at Celta Vigo, whose matchday 11 game is the final match we have to talk about this weekend. Eduardo Cudé has come in there to replace Oscar Garcia and after they lost 4-2 to Sevilla in his first game, which he couldn't actually be in the dugout for, this time Cudé was on the touchline for Celta Vigo's home game against Granada on Sunday and they won. Iago Aspas didn't score, but he was absolutely amazing as Celta Vigo came from behind to win the match 3-1. It's a huge first win for Cudé, of course, we'll be following his progress very closely over these next few weeks and we'll be bringing you the updates from Vigo as he settles in. In the meantime, there's a really good article about Celta Vigo on LaLigaLowdown.com from Alex Brotherton. He looks at how the club went from competing in the Europa League semi-finals 
to constantly battling against relegation. Well worth a read whenever you have a chance. Anyway, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. There's still Real Betis versus Ibar to come on Monday night, but thanks to all the contributors to this episode who have provided the lowdown on the weekend's games. That's Roman de Arker, Hassan Karim, Matt Clark, Jeremy Barron and Paco Pollock. And I've been your host, Ewan McTeer. Thanks a lot for tuning in and listening and maybe tell a Spanish football-loving friend about us if you have a chance this week. The more, the merrier, of course. For now, have a good week and we'll be back at the same time next week. Take it easy. Until then.